everybody and welcome to another episode of The Playthrough. I'm Dr. J and today we're going to be learning how to play Blood Rage, a game from Simon. Uh, you might have heard of it before, it's a pretty popular game. Uh, remember, if you're listening on audio only, go ahead and check out the videos that go along with this. You can find those at theplaythrough.net along with our other content. And if you already know how to play the game Blood Rage, you can go ahead and click the link above and it'll take you to the discussion video that goes along with this. All right, so let's dive in and let's learn how to play Blood Rage. So let's first look at the board, because this is where everything in the game of Blood Rage happens. So if you'll see, the board is split up into several different areas, and the areas are kind of in their own unique little zone. So you've got Mannheim, which is the yellow areas, Jotunheim, which is the blue, and then Alfheim, which is the gray areas. And then in the middle, you've got Yggdrasil, which is a unique area, and we'll talk about what makes that unique a little later on. If you see in each of the areas, they are, there are little circles here that represent villages, and then there's a token in the middle of it, and the tokens are vary. there's a few different kinds, and those will come into play a little later as well. What the circles mean is that's how many units you can have in each of those areas, so if we have some warriors in there, for instance, you can only have as many in there as there are spaces. The middle is different, Yggdrasil is different because that can have any number of figures, there's no limit to the number that can be in there. And then these areas on the outsides of the map in the ocean, those are fjords, and that's only for boats and for the lucky player who happens to get the sea monster figure in the game, if, they get, if the sea monster is even in play during the game. Alright, so let's go over and look at the sort of round tracker board over here. This tells us the phases that we go through when we play the game. So if you see here, there's a deck of cards for three different ages. And what you'll do is you'll go through each of these actions each age. So the first thing you do is you take the deck of cards, and depending on how many players there are, you'll deal out a number of cards to each player. And then what you do is you draft those cards. So once you get dealt cards, you'll look at them, you'll pick one, and then you'll pass them to the player to the left. And then once you've passed all the cards and there's no more to pass, then you we move on to the action phase, which is the next part. And during the action phase, each player is going to get to take as many actions as they can, and that depends on how much rage they have. Now you might be wondering what rage is. Well, let's go ahead and look at the player board now and figure out what that is, because this is where most everything that happens in the action phase is going to be taking place. So if we look at the player board, you see here there's a bunch of different areas. There's a leader upgrade area up here, a warrior upgrade just below it. We've got clan upgrades along the top, and if you see there's three spaces for those. There's an area for ship upgrades next to that. And then down here in this corner, there's, uh, there's space for two monster upgrades. If you look along the middle of the board, we have the Rage track. Rage is your resources, you need it in order to perform actions, so the more you have, the better. Uh, and once you run out of Rage, you can no longer take any more actions. So if you hit zero Rage, you can't even take actions that require zero Rage in order to take them. So it's an important resource to kind of manage and make sure that you don't, that you do everything you want to before you spend it all. Down here, these are the clan stats, so you've got your Rage, your Axes, and your Horns. What the Rage is, is at the start of every round, depending on where this tracker's at, you get to start the round with that, that much Rage. 
What the axes do is when you win battles, you are going to get victory points or glory in this game equal to the number that is that the token is on. And then the horns tell you how many units you can have out on the board. So starting out, you can only have up to four units on the board. So you need to raise these tracks in order to do that. And we'll talk about how you raise those stats uh, coming up. And then finally along the bottom of the board is one of the most important things. This tells you the actions that you can take during the action phase. And we'll go through them one at a time and explain what they are. So first is invade. Now the rage cost to invade, and invading is just putting a character out on the board, the rage cost is whatever this little red symbol is in the corner. So if you see here on the warrior upgrade, it's initially one. Uh, the leader is three, but if you see down here, the leader invades for free, and the ships are two. Now let's look at some of the cards, because some of the cards can change that. So, for instance, this there's leader upgrade cards that you can put down here, and this gives your leader special powers. There's warrior upgrades, like this one. This will also give your, uh, give your warrior special powers. And then there's the monster upgrades. And it's important, we'll kind of include invade and upgrade all in this one discussion here because the cost to upgrade a card, putting these cards down here, costs the exact same as the cost to invade. The difference is um, when, you, when you upgrade, so when you upgrade a monster, for instance, so the dwarf chieftain, he costs two to upgrade. Well, actually, he costs no rage to upgrade or invade. That's his special ability. We'll look at the leader up here. So this upgrade costs three. Whenever you upgrade a unit, you get to instantly put that figure out on the board. So if I upgrade my leader, I get to instantly put my leader out somewhere on the board. If I do it with the Dwarf Chieftain, then I do the same thing. I take the Dwarf Chieftain and I put him on the board. Uh, the Sea Monster, for example, costs three Rage in order to upgrade. When you upgrade him and put him on the board, you get to instantly put him out one time. But if, you, but if he dies and you want to put him out in a later round, you have to pay the Rage cost to invade with him again. So that's invading and upgrading. Next is marching. Now what this is, is it's basically just moving your units from one area to another area. So, for instance, again, if I have three units in Elwagar up here, I can pay one Rage, and I can move them from that area to any other area where there's enough space for them. Uh, if there were only two spaces open somewhere else, I could take two of them and move them. I don't have to move them all. Uh, but it's that simple. You just pay a Rage, and you can move them anywhere. You can even move them to the middle. Now, you'll notice that since Yggdrasil doesn't have any circles in it, you can't actually invade, meaning take a unit and put it on the board, into Yggdrasil. The only way to get in there is by marching or later on when somebody pillages it. So the next action you can take is a quest. So again, if we look at the cards, there's some cards that are quest cards, like the, and they, they're green like this one here. Now whenever you, you want to take a quest action, you take the card, and you put it face down just over your clan symbol here. And it just stays there until we go to the quest phase later on in the game. Uh, it doesn't cost any rage to play a quest. So if you have them, you might as well put them down. Uh, and that's all that the quest is. And finally, the biggest part of the game, in my opinion, the biggest action you can take, and that's pillaging an area. And this is where all the player interaction comes from. 
Uh, you'll notice on the, the board here, it says that the cost to pillage is free. It doesn't cost anything to pillage an area. So we'll do an example of how pillaging works. So let's pillage Elwagar here. So let's say this area has two blue warriors, one yellow warrior, and a red leader in it. And the red player decides on their turn that they want to pillage Elwagar. What that means is they're trying to get, they're trying to upgrade this clan stat, whatever one is in the area on the token. In this case, it's axes. They want to upgrade their axes. So what happens is every player that's in there is going to play a battle card from their hand. If they don't have one, then they have to put a card down. And the battle card you add to the strength of the units that are already there. So we look at the board here. Warriors are worth one point and leaders are worth three. So in this scenario here, before the battle begins, the yellow player is going to have one strength, the blue player is going to have two, and the red player is actually going to have five because they've got a, a ship that's touching it in the fjord and they've got a leader. So that's three and two. And then they're each going to put play a battle card face down, flip them over, and then resolve whatever it is. And some of the battle cards have unique abilities. We won't go over those, but this number is what's added to it. So if the yellow player played this, they'd have a total strength of three. Uh, if the red player played it, they have a total strength of seven. Another interesting thing about pillaging is if, for instance, there was an open space there, and the red player again decided to pillage, you get to go, you would go around the table in turn order, and we give other players an option to come in and take part of this battle. It's called the call to arms. So if, for instance, the brown player, it goes around and nobody wants to move in there, and the brown player gets their turn, they can move a unit from any touching area in there and participate in the battle. This is very important because if at some point in the game, let's say a player wants to pillage an area and there's nobody there, this gives all these other players an opportunity to move in and to try to challenge them and to stop them from getting those clan stat upgrades. And like I said before, the middle, Yggdrasil, there's no unit limit. The reason why that's so important is because it's touching every other outside area. If a player decides to pillage Yggdrasil, all the players, if they wanted to, could move all their units on the board, except for their ships, into Yggdrasil to challenge. And the benefit to pillaging Yggdrasil is that you get to raise each of your clan stats by one instead of just one, one of them if you successfully pillage. Only the person who initiates the pillage is going to get the clan stat, but whoever ends up winning the battle, whether they started the pillage at where whether they took the pillage action or not, is going to get victory points based on where their axes are at. And that can be a big way to get points later on. So again, during the action phase, you just take actions until everybody passes. I didn't mention if a unit dies in a combat like this, so let's say in this instance here with this battle, the red player wins. All the other players' figures are going to go to Valhalla over here, and that means that they cannot be used until the round is over. Uh, so you have to make sure that you don't end up losing all of your warriors to Valhalla before the end of the round. So again, play until everybody's rage is gone, and then we go over here, and we move this token to the next step, and it says discard down to one card. So if you have any cards left over in your hand at the end of a round, you get to keep one of them, 
and the rest have to get discarded. Then we go to the quest phase and we check to see if anyone has completed a quest. So like this quest that I had played earlier, it says widespread and it says have the most strength in at least two different provinces. So if so I would look at the board and say okay do I have the most strength in two different provinces? Well actually I do because I have a ship here, ships count as two and it's considered to be in both of those areas. I would get the reward for this quest. Now you get victory points based on whatever number is up in the corner and they always let you raise one of your clan stats by one. So it's really good to try to complete quests. Then we go to the next thing here and you'll see these tokens. This one has Analong, the name of one of the areas on it. That area is going to get destroyed in Ragnarok and that's what this token on the board means. So whenever an area is destroyed in Ragnarok, if there's any units left in it, they get taken off as well as the tokens. And from now on, that area can no longer hold any units. That's out of the game. And what that essentially does is it shrinks the map as you play through the game. And then finally, the last one is release from Valhalla. All the units in Valhalla go back to their respective owner's reserves and they can be played again. Uh, there's some quests that have to do with releasing from Valhalla. There's some that have to do with controlling areas. There's some that have to do with units dying. There's a bunch of different ways to do it and it kind of adds to the variety of the game. One thing that I didn't mention is uh, the clan upgrade area up here. So if you'll notice there's three spots for that. There's several different clan upgrades. There's lots of them and you try to find the ones that synergize well with each other. Anytime you take a clan you pay for a clan upgrade, you put it up here. If you ever have three and you want to play a new one of any upgrade, if any of these upgrade spots are full and you want to play a new one, you have to make sure that you discard one of your existing clan upgrades. A uh, quick note before we end here, just know that the miniatures that you get in the base game don't actually look like this. They're uh, just a generic gray color. Russ was kind enough to paint these for me. And that's how you play Blood Rage. All right, guys, welcome to the discussion portion of the playthrough. Joining me is the global guru, Zach. How you doing tonight? I'm great. Yep. Our fully sworn in lawyer, Dr. J. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. <laughs> and then our, our painting aficionado. And one of the reasons why I hate playing Jared's version of this game, because I don't play the game. I try to just get all the cool figures on the board, Russ. <laughs> um, so if you guys haven't watched yet and you want to learn how to play, make sure you click on the link above. That will show you to Jared's how-to on how to play Blood Rage. And believe me, he knows how to play this game. <laughs> um, Do I? I don't win that often. <laughs> you you won last time. I, I know how to make people salty while I play, but I don't. Did you win, win last time? That, that's a no, win for you, you though. Yeah. Yeah. If if you can disrupt well, we can it, you've won, stats. right? Huh? If you if you've disrupted the game for someone, yeah. you've no. won in your mind. <laughs> no, it really comes down to if Zach's playing, Jared will win. We know that because Jared will go into Yggdrasil and no, nobody the, will counter him. The last him. time we played with Zach, he ended up winning. Yeah, I won that. Remember? Because yeah. of uh, Valhalla and I got all yeah. those points. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're talking about Blood Rage made by this guy named Eric Lang and Simon. I've heard We've, of him. Yeah. We, I think they're new, right? Yeah. yeah, something like that. In 2012. They've been making a splash on Kickstarter lately, I hear. <laughs> we were looking at a name for themselves. <laughs> we, we were looking at Kickstarter for this, and it was 2015, and it was only 75 bucks, and it came with a lot. 
And it didn't raise all that much money. Maybe because it was $75 instead of typical 150 yeah. that it seemed on. Well, game. that would have been insane back in the days. Like, because I'll, I'll tell you the so a little bit of trivia. First board game Kickstarter I ever backed was from Simon when they were still called Cool Mini or not for the first zombie side. And like, as Russ, you as a painter, you can tell the difference between Zombie oh, yeah. Side and some of their newer games just in terms of the miniatures and quality, right? Yeah, you notice actually with with every Iteration. new Simon yeah. game, they, they get a little bit better. I mean, you can see you can see the spears for. Blood Rage, they're not. Yeah, these guys are the all best. bent, and you can use an air dryer yeah. or a, like a hair dryer to straighten them out a little bit, but they never really are perfect. So the detail is pretty awesome. They yeah. they just yeah. getting better and better. Yeah, it's, it's always premium stuff that you're getting yeah. at the time. Yeah. So like they set a bar and they keep pushing it higher and exactly. higher. So that, that's a good thing. So talking about this game, and now we got a twelve foot miniature coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good luck painting that. Death me I, I, twelve I just, foot. I, I really just want a picture of you trying to paint it, and you just have one of those uh, like roller rollers just going at it. <laughs> you need to you need to attach a basketball hoop to that Cthulhu miniature, and then just stick it in your driveway, and you're good to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, what are you guys? What were you guys' initial thoughts in this game? Because I can tell you that the first time I played this. Um, it was kind of early on when I was still trying to get into some of the heavier board games playing that this one just clicked because it took mechanics from other games that I knew how to play and put them all together. And I was like, I love this, you know, just a little bit of the drafting, a little bit of worker play area control, worker placement ish type things. And I was like, this, I get it. I get all of it. Yeah. The la- the first time I played this game was actually three years ago at Salt Connor, our local board game convention. And I fell in love with it. And I wasn't as deep into the hobby as I am now, but I it just really like it was a hot game for a reason back then because it was it had kind of a new new concepts. The miniatures were really cool. It felt like a really high quality game. And it, it's not hard. It's a very simple game that is really easy to pick up. And plus, I mean, it's just beating the snot out of your your <laughs> friends the whole time, which really spoke to me. So I, I was kind of late coming into the, the board game group with you guys. And this was the first guy, first game I played with you. And I was very intimidated at first, but as soon as we started drafting, I fell in love and then using the miniatures, I'm like, oh man, I'm, you know, miniatures. Well, this is my unpa- first game. That, yeah. was, that, the that, was, before, that was before they looked like this. And that was before they looked like <laughs> this. And I mean, I don't know if it was because it was one of my entry level games into the the somewhat heavier board game industry, but I fell in love with it. Like just all of the different mechanics. I love drafting. I love worker placement, which it has a little bit of. And uh, I don't super love confrontation area control type games, but this has just enough where it doesn't turn me off, but just enough where I think a lot of people that do like those things, it, it helps them. Yeah, so one of the interesting mechanics about the game is it's got the glory aspect where if you lose in battle, you can still get glory points. Or, you know, if you're if your guys die in battle gloriously, you can still benefit from it. And so one person can have a strategy where they want to win all their fights, and another person can have a strategy where they want to lose all their fights, and they can still be pretty close. So I think that kind of takes away from the negative feelings that sometimes surround just straight up combat games. Well, you like, never oh, feel like you're won. out. Yeah, well, even exactly. if you're losing the combat, you just, it's like, well, I can get these quests and come back and still. That win. feels yeah. like one of the good things about Eric Lang as a designer to me, though, 
why I like him so much is that he has different avenues to to win mm-hmm. where it's not just about winning. You can kind of have that negative. Most of his games have that uh, what would be a negative can turn into a positive. The, the killing your your characters. Um, they're... This game is accused of having some some broken mechanics, certain strategies that win, but I I haven't noticed it. I know I get frustrated when you get into Yggdrasil and you just <laughs> take it over and nobody else wants to counter. Um, but I I typically play it where I do take all the cards that you get benefit from from dying. This last mm, time I played, the KO where I was King like, going for the KOs. This last time I played a lot more aggressive, where I was just trying to win battles, and that I really enjoyed that play yeah, of it. Some people say there's a lot of broken cards, and the only card that I really think is broken is in the Third Age. There's a card that doubles your points from quests that you end up completing. Yeah, I like that one. I like to. <laughs> that's the comeback one. Yeah, I got sure. that's the one I, I use to come back. You can net way more points than you probably should be able to. Yeah. Like they should put a yeah. cap on how many points it can give I had you. Thirty-eight in the last round. Yeah, it's pretty gross. But other than that, like there there are strong cards in the game. A lot of really strong cards that can feel broken. But they're all kind of that way. You got to set up for a lot of those ones, though. Yeah. And things have to go right. But you had a really good combo that I I thought was really nasty. You got where you could uh, pay two or what? Two rage to redo. A, oh yeah, you can pay yeah. two rage to repillage an area, and then you were the in Yggdrasil, so you were get you got no, all no, no. your no. So so I was in. What area was it? Like this one up here with only three spots in it, and I had all the spots in it. And so I was just paying two rage to repillage, and I had an upgrade that when I successfully pillaged, oh, yeah. I would raise all of my clan stats instead of just yes. one. Um, and so, so you got to do it twice. The, game, the last all round of the game, twice. I just bumped my clan stats up all the way and so maxed them out. So he got sixty at the end so of the game. I got sixty points. So, and the thing is, when you play the game more often, you're gonna you're gonna recognize those clan upgrades on other people, and you say, okay, this is what I got to do to stop him. This is what I got to do to stop that person over there. Yeah. And it was an interesting yeah. play because I think I think you kind of went nice on me and Kevin because we were really <laughs> we were a little messed, rusty. From we really this game. messed up at the yeah. beginning and yeah, the first round I was uh, I was in a clear position of strength and they were not doing well. And we we play with the expansions, we play with the mystics, which adds extra units, and we play with the gods of Asgard. Yeah, that's a good thing to mention too, right? Yeah. The expansions, they give you kind of more clans and more more of the monsters and stuff, but yeah. it's not a one of those like you must have to, yeah, to and no, unless no, you have no. a fifth player that wants to yeah, play it. then it's a must have yeah. to buy the fifth player yeah. version. Yeah. yeah. But but if you're playing, you know, with four or just And if know, this is three, anything like what uh, chaos in the old world. Make sure you get that fifth player expansion <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, Russ. Those are always the hardest. Come, yeah. come on, Russ. Just shell up, shell out the money so we can play so, chaos in the old world. So what one of the mystics does is when it when it would be destroyed in combat, instead it can move to an an adjacent oh, so area good. that's on I the outside. Card. And so what happened was I had a card that if I lost a battle, then I would steal rage from the person who won. So I would go into an area with my mystic. I would. If if whoever was there didn't try to pillage, I would initiate a pillage and intentionally lose the fight. So I would steal their rage and then I would move my mystic to another area. And then on my next round, I would redo the pillage again and just steal everyone's rage. And it does give them glory points because they're winning the battle every time. But the whole first round, I mean, they didn't, we didn't have that much rage to start with. And so I ended up 
bankrupting Russ Me. and Kevin. Before I could play a quest or anything. At the very beginning of the game, yeah, they didn't play any quests or anything. And so I kind of eased up. Well, on one, the, one on thing the later rounds a little bit. One thing about this game is if there's an experienced player and know the cards really well, they would have an upper hand, especially on new players or you know rusty players or less experienced. They this, they yeah. could have and an that's advantage. That's just the nature there. of a drafting game. This definitely feels yeah. like uh, the more you you play it, you'll have strategies. I know it evolves. Every time I evolves. play, I kind of had the same strategy. This time, I was a lot more aggressive. So I usually like the mystics that you had where you take away, but I had the mystics where I, I, I can bounce out one of my opponent's characters. Yeah, you can so kill it was one a lot more characters. aggressive, and I went for Yggdrasil right away, and oh man, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's been my strategy in the past is usually go into Yggdrasil, pillage it, and then just kind of keep your forces in there so when the next round starts, you can instantly pillage it again and take advantage of bumping up all your clan stats and really take the lead on the board. And that's caused Russ a lot of stress in the past, especially when we play with people who (laughs) don't want to challenge. It's like, don't leave me in here just to do it myself. Yeah, so Russ basically feels like either we can let Jared win this game (laughs) or I can put myself on the chopping block and try to go in and win. And I feel like I'm like, trying to talk everybody into like yep. come with me let's just stop him and it never some of us just want to do our own thing yeah you I know. play it a little you, bit like you, a you euro know what game usually happens yeah. is because i usually end up getting the cards where like you get extra points if you release somebody from valhalla or anytime they like remove from the board and there are a lot easier avenues for me to like mass destroy my guys at once where i'll is, just go do yeah. that instead it's also tempting to draft monsters but i learned early after my first or second play that you have to make sure you have the, gl- the, the glory rage yeah, the rage in order to do, to do the monsters Absolutely. or the monsters are a waste yeah because the monsters are expensive yeah. to oh upgrade. no sir they're not a waste when they're all oh. sexy on the board just <laughs> showing off so <laughs> you have to it, they're so expensive to get out there yeah like the fire giant he's four rage just to put him out one time and then if he dies and you want to put him out again later it's four more rage and so you better get full use out of him if you if you only get a couple of rage points your first at the end of your first round what does that put you at eight that's half your rage just to put him on the board that's a big sacrifice see i think i've i've become a fan of the the dwarf and the dark elf because they're cheaper and they the, the dark elf, the dark elf, and the Voler witch are two of my favorites because they get bonuses for being in Yggdrasil. Yeah, um, but there have been actually games that I've played where I've taken advantage of the Valkyrie, and what she does is anytime that a unit is destroyed in battle with her, you get two extra glory points. And so there have been games where I've actually used her and just gone and just drafted the heavy attack cards and, and gone around and, step, step. and crushed all the fights. And every time someone does something, go in and challenge it, and then you get glory points for each unit you destroy. Um, and so you really have to, if you're picking monsters, you have to pick monsters that fit your strategy, except for the the dwarf and the soldier of hell. They're free to invade, so there's really no, or and to upgrade, so there's really no downside to taking them. So what, if you're a new player, what clan stats do you want to go for? First, I think rage, rage is the biggest horns one. and then axes last. See, so I focused a little bit more on axes this last time. 
mm-hmm. because I was fighting. So I think it depends on what strategy you're yeah, going for. for sure. Depends so on if what you have cards strong, you're given and if you have go. stronger characters, I like axes. You definitely need rage. Like I think that's the first clan stat you've got to upgrade or you're if you go you're for the other yeah. stuff. Like you're not gonna have the rage to to put more characters on for horns. See, and and that's not necessarily true because there are upgrades that will allow you to like for instance there's one anytime you invade with a character you can invade with a, a warrior for free and so if you don't have a bunch of rage but you have those then you kind of can put them out put your units out more cheaply i guess or it's, it costs less to put them out and then you could focus more on bumping up your axes and your horns so that or your axes specifically so that you could get a lot of points by winning in fights um, but again, it really depends on what the synergy is with your clan upgrades and stuff. I think there's a way to make it work, but if you don't happen to get that card and maybe one other card, you really do want rage at, at some point you're going to need more rage and, and the tokens on the board, there's more rage than anything else. But then, uh, so, so I've gone, sense. I've also gone games where I've gone, Oh, I need rage. And then I get rage up and I don't worry about the rest. And then I have a plethora of rage that I can't use. Right. Because like you I have too many guys horns. on the board and right. you don't have enough horns to do it. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is as you go through the game, areas are going to get destroyed in Ragnarok. And so the map shrinks and you realize that sometimes if you max out your rage at the end of the game, you can't use it all because right. there's nowhere left to pillage. You can't put any more guys on the board. Really. All you can do is move them around maybe. And so it, the, the way that the board shrinks, it really limits how much you can use your rage in the last round of the game. I've really started to kind of lean toward axes for points, but I think that's because how I'm playing it lately where I... Like if, He's if turning I'm, into an aggro player. Well, if I'm you dying... Change, <laughs> trust, you if, change. I, if I'm dying where I don't care about my characters dying, then axes really isn't a great asset. But right. if you're trying to win battles, which kind of sounds weird because you you think you'd want to win battles, but if you're trying to win battles, and you can really get a lot of points early, yeah, and see that with the Valkyrie, you can get a ton of points. Like I remember there was one game that I was playing where I had the Valkyrie in Yggdrasil with the Dark Elf and a bunch of units, and or someone else had just had tried to pillage Yggdrasil, and I moved everything in you know and what ended up happening was someone ended up playing the card that you destroy every player destroys all but one of their figures before you calculate the strength and so i destroyed all of my figures except for the valkyrie and i ended up playing like a six on the card and so i ended up winning and it get two glory points for every single unit of mine and theirs (laughs) that got destroyed it was like a 25 26 point score it was pretty gross. Yep, and I'd like to mention this game came out before PUBG and Fortnite took the shrinking map idea. <laughs> you know, somebody's probably like, "They took that from Fortnite." Nope, kids, there was life before Fortnite. That's right. Um, so while we're talking about this, you know this game inside and out, but how how do you rate the rule book? The rule book, <laughs> uh, probably like a seven to eight out of ten, maybe like a seven point five. Uh, it ha- it suffers from the same thing that most Simon rule books kind of suffer from and that's just it it can be hard to find things every once in a while it's pretty intuitive if you follow the board though it goes through what each of the phases are and the rule book kind of goes along with that 
I, I can't stand rule books that don't have indexes in it. And might have a little one. This, I don't remember. The player actually, cards help a lot too. Yeah, they've got all the different yeah. phases. That's, that's what I like about having it. Like one of my things that I've noticed with board games now, I'm so peculiar. If they don't give you player aids, it kind of bugs me these days. Yeah, because I don't. I don't want to be that guy who's asking. Okay, so what do I do now? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't actually learn this game out of the rule book. I somebody taught it to me, and so I only use the rule book for reference purposes. So for reference purposes, it's not amazing. It might be pretty good for learning the game right out of the rule book there's there's not a lot it seems to me like it's pretty clear cut this is not a game where we need to constantly go to the rule book and say well what's this Mm -hmm. interaction like it which is crazy because there's so many different interactions but yeah i I don't think we've really had any all the rules are on the cards or on the player boards like all your actions are explained at the bottom of the player board here what each of the units and stuff does and each of the upgrades does is clearly stated on the cards so there's not a whole lot that you need to go to the rule book for which makes this such a great game and, and i i tend to lean toward Really great games have that simplicity with complexity, mm-hmm. but it, it's really smooth, has great table presence. There's tons of different avenues to win. We've talked about that. And it's a drafting game, so really it comes down to what cards you get. You need to be flexible and kind of adjust. I think if you are are dead set on always playing the same, especially if you play with the same people, then they're going to know how to counter. I think it's it's you just got to adjust to what cards yeah, you, you get, get and kind of go with it. Well, yeah. like that strategy that I was using at the beginning of the last game, there's a really good way to counter it. And it's just lose the fight. Cause when you do a fight and somebody plays a, and you play battle cards, whoever wins the fight loses their card. And because I'd never lost a fight, I got to keep yeah. that card the whole time. So you kind of have to set it up where that person wins the fight and you lose the fight so that they get rid of their card and i've done that before in the past when we've been playing where i'm like i don't want that card in the game anymore yeah. <laughs> so i intentionally lose a fight uh but yeah it's really there's really a lot of strategies and ways to counter them and it's one of the things i really like like you said table presence is really nice it's not a table hog i mean if yeah, we this look is at probably it here, one of our smaller it's games one of the smaller games, on the show yeah. already and playtime is really pretty short yeah especially how, if people know what's going on like it's yeah. Oh, yeah. quick yeah for like how, when we were playing i was like oh we're already done yeah for how like, epic it looks i think we play a typical game in probably about an hour and it's doesn't if it takes longer than that it's not much longer yeah. at all. that's what i actually like about just having these three different ages for the game is like once you're done with that third age it ends i mean like i love playing games with you guys but you gotta admit some of our games may have stretched a little too far oh, yeah. <laughs> and we want to get more so, games in yeah right? you know you play so more yeah that's why i'm like let's get this out we're ready good to go i mean it's an it's a typical eric lang game so there might be some salt that comes with it no, we were gonna it play it be, back yeah. to back the other night and <laughs> Russ is like no so zach i, I want to ask so like i know you love doing the drafting portion yeah. of this but you do have that mechanic where the board's getting smaller and smaller and forcing confrontation. As a person, like you mentioned, that you're not a big fan of that. Like, does this does this seem like a little too forced for your liking, or how well, do how do you like about that confrontation where you can't quite avoid it? I, I think they did the perfect thing for people like me is make it a win condition where winning the battles doesn't necessarily win you the game. I've won a game by dying the most and getting the most in and out of Valhalla. So it, it kind of gives you opportunities to play more strategically and not mm-hmm. just 
focus on the battle where you can, you know, if, if that's not your forte, you don't love certain things like that, you don't have to focus on it if you don't want to. But if you feel in the mood, you want to go that route. Because sometimes you kind of have to go the way the cards mm-hmm. are drafted. Yeah. And if you get those certain cards where you need to be battle heavy, you know, get ready to do that. Otherwise, you don't have to. There's also a strategy where there's cards in the game that anytime one of your ships gets destroyed, you get a bunch of points yeah. for it. <laughs> and if you get that in the sea monster, I've seen people come close to winning games where all they do is put ships out and get them destroyed. I think my first game, that's all. That's I did. all you did. It was just put it ships all, out. It's almost like, are you even playing the same game we are? It, nope. It, I was just killing my dad. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's, yeah, but a lot of different games in one. It's with yeah. the Valhalla and Ragnarok yeah. and the whole, like... Yeah, yeah. One of the great things that I like about it is the Ragnarok token moves around depending on the areas on that board, and when it goes off, all the units in that area get destroyed, and the players who had units there get points for all of them that get destroyed. Yeah, I don't and feel it, bad when that happens. I'm like, yes, die in well, glory, my have, warriors. If you have cards that give you points. You kind yeah, of want to go you in want, there. You use that to your there advantage. There double it. So I've seen people where it's it's this area that's got that can have five people in it, and then they have a card that doubles the glory award from dying in Ragnarok, and it's the last round. So. When they die, everything is worth eight points. Each unit is worth eight points during the last round. And that, I don't know what that turns out to be. Something like 20, wait, what's eight times five? Times five? 40. 40. 40. 40. 40 points? Is that what it is? I don't know if I'm doing the math This is why he's a lawyer. This is why I'm a lawyer. That's why he loses all the time. (laughs) You only got 20 points. It's 20 for you. But if that's 40 points, that's a huge gain right there. Which we've talked a lot about different strategies and some seem broken, but that's kind of the epicness of this game if you let someone kind of just go a, like a direction you're gonna get all upset and be like oh that's a, a broken combo but you can stop it you can draft you can do it yourself like i can yeah. see that as a negative point though if you want it a little more you know you want to do your thing and you're focused yet you get forced to kind of do this other thing Sometimes that that can kind of put a damper. One one of the interesting things about the game is some of the cards in the different ages are very similar to each other. So there are cards in the first age, but then there are cards in the second age that are sort of like upgrades to those cards Mm -hmm. that give you kind of an increased bonus. So if you're watching what other people are doing and the strategies that they're exploiting, like in the second age, you can look at your cards and say, okay, if I deny him this card, it's going to really take a big chunk out of the points he can get in the third age. At potentially the expense of that other card that fits really well with what you're doing. Right. So then you have to weigh. It's like, all right, my thing that I'm doing, is that going to be better than stopping the thing that he's doing? You know, because I remember yeah. Russ, you're like, all right, we need to go take him out here. And I'm like, I think what I'm doing is going to do really well. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'll maybe go in there and just die and let him do his thing in the long run by me doing my own yeah. thing worked more than him doing his right so it worked but you got to weigh that well and then you kind of have to pass up the shiny ability you know like the cards that look like really interesting monsters and stuff for straight out battle cards yeah which last time we played i just i drafted heavy battle cards in some rounds because and passed up a lot of things that like intuitively, I, I wanted mean, like, like I, w- but, I wanted it, but I was like, ah, look, look how pretty this battle. looks when you I just know. do that. It's just so awesome. This guy, every time I see him, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I want him and I want to make him work. But he's so expensive <laughs> to put out there. But there have been there was actually a time where uh, where I ended up getting this guy. And what he does is when you pillage, you get double the pillage reward. 
and I had an ability that gave me double the pillage reward, and I ended oh. up pillaging Yggdrasil with him, and he <laughs> oh. bumped up all my clan Jeez. sets by three with just one pillage. I mean, and it it's so fun to do I'm that. I'm always kind of tempted stuff. with the fire giant, but his cost, but like throwing him down because he kills everything. Everything but other monsters. Yeah. yeah. So he kills leaders. So I'm and always like, and, oh, I want to put him down, but I can't afford him to make my strategy work. So I got him last, like the last time we played, I drafted him and I drafted him, I think, and I didn't put. I I, di- I didn't put either of them out on the board at all, and I was really bummed because I had to discard down to one card, and I didn't end up keeping him. And I was like, "Oh man, I didn't. I don't know that I re- I recruited maybe one monster the last time we played, and you guys each had two, and I felt left out." <laughs> it looks it. cool, man. Remember Thank the fir- dude, first so time cool. you got this copy after Russ painted it? I didn't even try to win. I'm like, I'm getting as many as <laughs> monsters <laughs> out, man. Yeah, um, so all right. Cool. So before we go, final thoughts on the game. I love it. I I think it's got uh, the visuals of it. It's a beautiful game and it's really fun. It really checks off a lot of the boxes for a lot of the games that I really like in one game. The drafting, the quests and the the miniatures. It's just all around good. I really love it. Um, Not in no small part due to the theme. I love the Viking theme. I love the whole Viking mythology thing so you, like everything kind of makes sense you know you've got Jodenheim and it's all frozen you got a frost giant here and it's just it really the mechanics and the theme fit really well together people have kind of criticized and said it's like a like a less complete game of rising sun which came out I, later i like i actually prefer this over rising i, sun. Do, I think they're I completely pre- different they, they are they're very they have similar mechanics in a way but they're completely different games and what I can be in the mood for both on different occasions because I mean, rising sun is a lot more, you know, like managing your stuff in front of you, not just putting guys out and trying to make a sweet strategy come together. This feels like more combat and that's what I I dig about it. Um, But they're both really good games. I like this one more mainly because of the theme. Uh, I love this game. That's my favorite designer. And then I just love, throwing down the miniatures and, <laughs> and having that it, that variable to be like oh I want to win battles but if I don't I can have a strategy to lose I would say if you are a Blood Rage fan if you're looking for games that are similar a little bit different uh, Chaos in the Old World or even Cthulhu Wars like those that. games are ones that I think are, are more similar than Rising Sun but yeah, they also will cost you more than a hundred dollars each. Good job, Russ. <laughs> I, really, I really liked when we were playing last night too, and Russ was looking at the minis, and he was like, "I don't hate these." Like <laughs> he was, he was really worried that he was going to look at them and be disappointed with his paint job because this was one of the earlier things that he painted. And he's like, "No, I'm really happy with those." And I'm like, "Good, because you're not getting them back to fix them or anything." <laughs> was it fun to paint? It was. Uh, so I went. If if you're watching the video, you can see that the the warriors are a wash. Um, I told Jared if I was painting my own copy, that this is what I would do. Um, this was a gift for you completing law school. Yeah. So it was. I like the way the the warriors look on the board. That you're not distracted with. Oh, what is that? Because you can yeah. tell there the yeah. the peon characters. So 
Now I need to get my own copy, which is weird. <laughs> I, I, I think it's it's really weird that as big an Eric Lang fan as I am, I don't have this game. It took me forever to get you guys to play this, too. I was like, we need to play Blood Rage. We need to play Blood Rage. And finally I went out and bought it. And I was like, we need to play Blood Rage. And it took a while to actually get it to the table. But I'm glad that we've gotten it to the table as many times as we have. I wish I could pay $75 for the Kickstarter. Oh, God, that been <laughs> it's, it's a It's a so bit of around stuff. 500 now. I was looking. <laughs> yeah. About 500 for Some everything. Someday. Just everything. slightly yeah. tempted. Not painted. You know, almost, yeah. almost hit that bid button. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Um, thank you so much for talking about Blood Rage. And thank you guys at home for watching. We want to know what you guys think about Blood Rage or if you have any questions about it. Um, like I said, Jared has so many plays of this that he probably could answer your questions easily off the bat. You can do that by sending us an email at theplaythrough at ktdata.net or leave it in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube um, or on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash theplaythrough. All right, guys, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you next time on The Playthrough.